the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's I on Real Estate on AM 970. The answer. This is I on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. From the heart of New York City and the tri-state area to the most active real estate hotspots across America. Keeping you plugged in to the latest real estate market trends. From mortgage news and legal developments to everything you need to know about buying or selling a property. Benefited by the advice of the experts. Now, here's the host of I on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. We're back. We love doing the show. And time goes quick. Before I get back to Stephen, because Stephen and Ava, our legal expert, has a lot that that he wants you to know. I just want to mention that um, our guest today is, um, because I didn't mention it before, Jonathan LaMancha. And he is a reporter for Newsday. He covers real estate. So he's going to give you his read on what he sees in reporting of some issues. Okay, but really, we had such a great, I actually uh, had a a, a, a dinner uh, with Stephen and we talked about a lot of things and he's just so brilliant. So I just said, Stephen, do me a favor, share with with our our audience. And I I wanna say to everyone, you don't really know how special and how lucky we are to have Stephen give up his time for free <laughs> to, to really give you information because if you have some attorneys two minutes and they charge you money. So this is really a, a really great thing that he does. And he does it to give back to people. So thank you, Stephen. I can't thank you enough, but why don't you take this and talk about some of the things that you talked to me about for din- at dinner that I thought were really interesting. And that I think that people listening to the show can really benefit from. Thanks, Dottie. Thank you for saying that. You know, one of the things that's on my mind is, of course, really the price of housing. And one of the things that implements, of course, when you look at it, the price of housing is supply. And there's always a constant sort of struggle by government policymakers of we need more affordable housing because it's so expensive. And if we don't have it, then we have people who can't afford to live and to work in the area. And we sort of have this constant struggle of trying to somehow spend more money or have tax breaks to build more, but we always seem to never catch up. So I want to talk about two trends that are going on right now under discussion and some even more uh, proactive in New York and also in a few cities in California. So let me start with what's going on in New York um, as an issue, and then we're going to see a new law that really just went into effect affecting San Francisco and Berkeley. So the law was passed in those two jurisdictions but it was voted down in Santa Cruz in California. I wanna talk about what they're doing over there and an issue that we have in New York. So one of the, the issues that you have when you put in price controls, which is what rent stabilization and rent control is, um, landlords are limited as to how much they can increase rents um, 
you know, for, for certain properties. And there's a variety of reasons in the history of when it came into effect. Um, but what's interesting now is New York City has, depending upon which study you look at, between about 40 to 50,000 vacant apartments. I want to say that again. There's between 40 and 50,000 vacant apartments in the city of New York today. And, you know, what, what, what's interesting about it is we see that at the same time we're having a conversation on how do we build more affordable housing, but we see all these units that are currently vacant. Now, why do we have this problem with those apartments? If you look at the condition of those apartments, they need upgrades. And so what happens is landlords are business people. If they can only charge a certain amount of rent, but they got to make a certain amount of upgrades and they're not going to get their money back, they're not going to do it. So literally we have in the city of New York tens of thousands of apartments where the, you know, they're not being renovated and they're being kept offline and for a variety, for a variety of reasons. Now, there are conversations that are going on. Can we amend the way we do some of our rent control, rent stabilization um, in, in the market? Can we give certain breaks for these apartments so that way they'll bring them online to help alleviate the housing shortage? Also, what's interesting is that only not only limits the availability of housing for people, but it also pushes rents higher because the more properties that you pull out of the market, even for the free market apartments, you have fewer apartments in supply for the demand. So it's a, it's a real issue. And, and I mean, Dottie, when you think about it, a lot of housing units, 40 to 50,000. I mean, if you think about it, how many years would it take to build that many apartments? Oh my goodness. I would love, I mean, is there any way that anybody can get involved? Because, the, you know, obviously there's two sides to a story. You want to help people that don't have money and that need that break. Okay. And that's great. Okay. But the same token, you can't ask somebody who owns something to start losing money. Okay. Either. So there's got to be some happy medium or maybe, um, maybe some of the people that I don't know how it works. I mean, I don't know how they check. Like if somebody starts earning a lot more money, if they ever find that out. Well, this gets into an interesting debate, Dottie, on you know, the concept of what we call decontrol. How can an apartment that is rent regulated go private? And the rules have gotten stricter over the years. Um, and I understand why, you know, there, there's, look, there's, as the old saying goes, there's three sides to every story, right? You know, you know, some will argue to say, look, these apartments were kept, were, were designed to be part of this rent regulated program. Right. Why they got these benefits. Why should they get out of it? On the other hand, is you can't take a policy from 1950 and, and still have an effect in 2020. I mean, when they had some of these policies in effect, people were using a rotary phone and a telex. You ask a colleague these days, what's a telex? They'll, they'll say, I think, it's the, I think it's, you know, the Britney Spears new song. I don't know. You know, you know it, it's, they're I not going to know. know what rotary phone is. So, what so is that, that's... Because you certainly... So, we want to make sure people have homing, uh, housing. And then this homeless crisis is kind of, in my opinion, out of control. Um, so we want to make sure that people that cannot afford to have an apartment 
and that these apartments are, are, are dedicated to have them. But you're telling me that there are so many that are vacant because they need upgrading and the owners of those apartments, I mean, if they, if they can't even get any, if they can't make any money, if they're actually losing money to have the apartment, they're not going to do it so that we have all the, what's the, what's the answer? What do you think? I mean, I get involved with something yeah. like that. I mean, yeah, and, and just, I guess to add before I tell you what San Francisco and Berkeley is doing, uh, I mean, if you think about it, for owners, they have the money to put in, and what are they going to get in rents? Then they're going to have wear and tear. And by the way, mortgage rates are higher now than they were a year ago. They've come down a little bit, which you know Tom told us about in the first hour. But the fact is, they're still mortgage rates today versus a year ago are higher. So the cost to borrow money to make the renovations have gone up too. Well. What they're doing, and this got approved in San Francisco and Berkeley recently, Santa Cruz voters rejected it, is a vacancy tax. Now, there has been the concept of a vacancy tax in real estate for decades, and different cities have used it differently. But what makes this really more unique is it's on the residential world. So let me sort of talk about what I mean, what a vacancy tax is and how it's been used. Sure. So the idea behind it is, you pay property taxes because if you own property, you're getting certain services from the city. They have to clean the streets. They have policing, et cetera. You're getting sort of benefits for your property, and that's the basis behind property tax. Now, generally speaking, property taxes have an interesting paradox, right? If you have a vacant piece of land, it's worth less money, so you pay less in taxes. But if you develop the property, it's worth more. Now that you've improved the asset, you now have to pay more taxes because it's right. worth more. So there's a little bit of a paradox because you're spending your money to make your property better, and now you're paying a higher tax for making it better. So that's where, and I'm not going to get into it today, we have a series of abatement programs to say, okay, look, we, the government wants you to make those improvements. Maybe we'll phase in the increase in taxes or things like that. What's happened in a number of cities over the years is they've had a commercial property vacancy tax, meaning you don't want to have people walk down the streets and you see a lot of empty retail stores, right? It's a terrible no, thing. You don't want to see what the pandemic did. And it was sad. You walked down Madison Avenue and half the stores, you know, closed. And now they're exactly. reopening. But it's, yes, no, we don't. Vacant, vacant storefronts are terrible. It gives it's not a good cold for feeling. It's not good for retail. It's not good for the people that live in the area because if you walk through an area, I always tell you, and you see a lot of vacancies, then you have to think twice about the value of the real estate there too. Absolutely. And then it also leads to crime questions and garbage yeah. and graffiti and homeless. So it all of a sudden, you know, it, it, it's really a downward slippery slope slide. And so what happens is sometimes landlords have a deliberate strategy to say, look, I need to keep stores vacant because I want to redevelop and reposition the whole building, right? I have three locations there, two are empty. I'm waiting for the third one, and they got a year left on their lease. I got to let them finish by law because what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a new mega store, right? So sometimes you have these different strategies. So what happened is municipalities, in some cases over the years, put in like a commercial vacancy tax to try to balance out and, and really motivate property owners to try to not keep it vacant. And there's all sorts of rules and caveats, but now we're seeing something interestingly different. 
And San Francisco has some of the issues that New York City has, but even more, I would argue, of a real sort of bipolar world of some very, very high-end real estate and some very big issues with homelessness and a bit of a squeeze in the middle. And they're a more extreme version. So think about our costs here. It's even, I'd say, more extreme there. And so what happened was they passed, and the version in San Francisco and the version in Berkeley are not identical. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to give you sort of an amalgamation of the two. But basically, if you keep your residential property, and this is what's very interesting, your residential property vacant for more than six months, we're going to up your property taxes. And looking at the new law that went into effect, starting next year, taxes could be anywhere from two and a half to five thousand dollars more a year. That's and if, by you 20, don't, if you don't. Wait, see, stop. So that's yeah, sorry. This is not again. If you're just tuning in, this is not New York. Stephen's talking about California. So in other words, if right. I just decide I don't want to rent my property, I don't want anyone to live in it. Maybe I want to give it to my daughter as she's going to get married in six months. Maybe I want her to live with them. If actually, if it's not, if it's vacant. Now, when they say vacant, that means that could you put a relative in there and not charge? Would that? Well, sure. Yes. Yeah. So they want to. So there's there's a few. So let me just talk about the numbers, and then I'll talk okay. about some of the details. And again, I want to be clear. This is a law that went into effect in San Francisco and Berkeley. And I'm talking about both, and I want to be clear to our audience, the rules aren't exactly the same for the two. So I'm kind of, because we're just giving an overview, you're getting a mix of both. So I want to be clear about that. So what it starts is basically in 2024, so in 14 months from now, if your unit is vacant in 2024, you would pay a property tax surcharge of between two and a half to $5,000. Um, and then in 2026, it can go up this surcharge to a maximum of $20,000 a year in additional taxes. So oh, by 2026, it could, as a surcharge, now that's a tremendous amount of taxes in general, but as a surcharge. Um, and they're hoping to bring in about $15 million a year just for this. Now, that's projection. Passed. That's passed. That just passed literally in the last week, um, and um, yeah, with election day and so forth. And it was a very close measure. Um, so it looks like it was like a 53-47% in the vote um, in San Francisco. Now, what's interesting, in Berkeley, where it's different than San Francisco, Berkeley's law includes single-family homes, while San Francisco is only multifamily. Um, but this is a very interesting development because, you know, look, you have people who use their properties in different ways, and we got to talk about what's the definition of vacant, right? You know, do you have, I mean, we're not talking about somebody who maybe has a second home and is using it. We're not talking about somebody who passed on and has an estate. Um, but um, we got to, you know, we're talking about, I think in San Francisco now they're saying, this will have this will affect about four thousand properties a year. They're projecting. So you're saying a lot of people a property that just nobody ever lives in, and it's not a second home that they go to sometimes. Yeah, I mean, we got to get some more details on how they're going to implement it, and, and I'm sure what's going to happen. Do you think that they could 
try to adapt this in New York? Well, you know, what happens is everyone looks around. I mean, the good news about our country, right, we have a federalist system. We have federal, we have state, we have county, we have local, all these different laws. And you can sit on the sideline and say, okay, San Francisco gets passed that law. Let's check in in two years and see how it goes. Let San Francisco be the experiment. And New York politicians say, well, wait a couple of years and take a look. And is it a success or a failure? And that's what happens. Sometimes you see governments around the country say, oh, they're doing an experiment in that city. Let's check in and see if we want to copy them or not. Let's see how it goes, which is obviously better than having everybody be the test case at the same time. Um, and it doesn't mean New York will ever adopt this. But what's going to happen is this, right? Politicians are elected people, right? And people are going to look around the country and see where are the successes, where are the failures. And if there is a problem, there's going to be pressure. And what I'll put out there is when people hear, hey, wait a minute, New York housing is expensive. Rentals are not cheap. No. We're talking about spending money for affordable housing, but we have 40 to 50,000 apartments that need a renovation, but that are built, but just need some upgrades, but are not being rented out. How do we how do we solve for that issue, right? Can and that's going to, I think, be on the agenda. You know, can we help? Because here's what I, I feel. First of all, I know that when people vote, and I, I'm, these are some of my friends, too, so I'm not putting anyone down. Half the time, they just put, you know, the main guy and the rest of the people, they have no idea who they are, and they just check somebody. So it's important for you to know. And I know most people don't have time, but it's important for you to know what people are proposing. This is something that is really important to, to New York, okay? I'm, I'm sure it's important to California, and I don't make it less important, but it's we live in, I live in New York. And so many people need housing, okay? And to have 50,000 properties that are available and just need upgrading, but I also have to look at both sides, which I try to do, and I understand that if you're a landlord and, hey, you can you're charging well below market rates, then why would you want to update it? But why can't New York State or New York City, why, instead of spending money on certain other things, uh, or why, or why doesn't the, you know, the, you know, federal try to help? I mean, I mean, how can we help? Because I don't think well, that listening to this show that wouldn't tell you if you live in the New York or metropolitan area that nobody wants to see 50,000 apartments vacant. And that will also help people get into apartments and be able to afford to be in apartments. Uh, and maybe... Well, I think the... Yeah, how can we help? You know, I, I, well, I think the first thing is you need a plan. And, and what happens is things are so ad hoc. And like, for example, right... Along with housing, in the last couple of years, right, we've had administration saying, well, let's move some homeless into a hotel, right? Let's move Rikers Island and redo that. Where's the comprehensive plan, right? I think the first thing I do is take a step back and say, well, wait a minute. We have all these different categories of needs and then have more of a master plan and have it, and have it make a lot more sense instead of being ad hoc and piecemeal. Are we we're at the end of our time, Steve? I would love to get to the end of the
my heart. And I think that maybe we can get enough people to at least have a voice that we want somebody to start to look at this and pay attention to it. Uh, Absolutely. Have a happy and healthy Thanksgiving. You See you next time. You know, a business that epitomizes strong family values and tradition over many years is Pat Lafreda Meat Purveyors. Established in 1922 in Manhattan's Meatpacking District, Pat Lafreda Meat Purveyors has been an institution in the New York restaurant scene for three generations. If you've experienced a delicious cut of meat at a premier restaurant within the tri-state area, odds are it was a Pat Lafreda product. Pat Lafreda supplies over 1,600 restaurants a day. You don't keep up that pace unless you're on top of your game. Talk about a true New York success story. Today, Lafreda Meat Purveyors operates two of the nation's largest state-of-the-art facilities in North Bergen, New Jersey, keeping to their local New York, New Jersey roots. Go online to Lafreda.com. It's L-A-F-R-I-E-D-A.com. We tried Dynavite for gut health and immune support, and after a couple of weeks, our little gizmo was acting like a puppy again. His coat was shinier, he had a lot less scratching and shedding, and he seemed like his happy old self. My dog smelled and scratched constantly. We bathed and sprayed her, took her to the vet, but no results. Now, a little Dynavite in her food helps Bella keep her beautiful coat with no scratching or smell. Get 10% off your next order of Dynavite nutritional supplements for dogs at Dynavite.com. Happier, healthier with every bite. Over a million pets helped with Dynavite. Okay, Mr. and Mrs. Local Business Owner, do you get calls from multiple digital marketing firms trying to sell you the quick fix to your marketing challenges? Maybe you've bought the latest tactic that some hotshot sold you and you're wondering where your results are. The problem is you know you need to market your business, but trusting a partner, well, that's been a challenge. Our solution for many local business owners is through our digital marketing solutions, Salem Surround. Salem Surround is unique because we're based on the same guiding principles that Salem Media is. We actually care about our clients and we're accountable to our results. The same care that we deliver our radio content to you is the same we do with all our digital marketing services. So reach out to us at SalemSurround.com today and we'll consult with you about your individual needs and create a customized plan to actually do what you need your investment to do. That's SalemSurround.com, a full-service digital marketing solution for your business. The guests are the greatest on the Arthur Idala Power Hour. Professor Alan Dershowitz is on the line. Let me tell you, I want you to be the next mayor of New York. I want you to be in public life. You owe the people of this city your talent, and you've given it to them in many directions, but I think holding public office would be a great contribution to the city. The Arthur Idala Power Hour, every weekday evening at 6 on AM 970, The Answer. Continuing with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. We're back, and boy, it's time to fly. We're in our second hour, and I'm Dottie Herman. You're listening to Eye on Real Estate, and we have a very special guest today, and I'm so thrilled that he's, he, he agrees to be on our show. Um, his name is Jonathan. Lamontra and Jonathan is a business reporter covering residential real estate on Newsday on Long Island. And uh, let me, before I say this, I grew up most of my life and lived half of my life on Long Island. 
it was the paper of Rhode Island. Everybody reads it. Uh, I, I don't know anyone who doesn't have it. Uh, last year, he completed the Knight Banhart Fellowship in Economics and Business Journalism at Columbia University and was previously a reporter covering the business of healthcare at Crane's New York business. Welcome. I'm so thrilled you could come on, Jonathan. And all I can tell you is, I didn't go a day. I don't know anyone who didn't have Newsday or doesn't get Newsday on Long Island. It's really the paper. And uh, I've been working with them all my life. Uh, and you cover real estate. And real estate is big. And everyone wants to know about it. And so in your covering real estate, from your point of view, because we all sit in different places, what do you... Uh, what do you, what do you, when you look at Long Island, how do you compare that to um, the rest of the country? Right. Well, Dottie, thanks for having me on. And um, yeah, it's a real, real pleasure to talk to you today. Um, and um, yes? We're not hearing you. Uh, I think that can you hear me now? while we're waiting for that technical difficulty to get worked out, uh, Newsday was the paper on Long Island that everybody read not about everything. And, of course, they always specialized. They had a very big section on real estate, and they cover it, but they cover everything on Long Island. And then when you were looking for a home or you wanted to find out about real estate, that it was really the paper to read. So I'm curious to find out um, what – because everybody – perspective is from where they sit um and again i just want to say this to all of our listeners if you don't live in new york you might say well gee what do i care about fifty thousand vacant apartments in new york well you should care because maybe your child will be looking for an apartment um we all have to get involved and we all have to you know i i, I think i hear so many people complaining today and there's a lot to complain about um the homeless has gotten out of control. A lot of things need to be fixed. Um, however, instead of us just talking about it, I think that we all have to know about it and also really do something about it. Because it's just talk about it and complain about it is a waste of time, okay? So I want to make sure that when we talk about real estate and we talk about things and uh, that, you know, if there's anything that you can do or you can contribute, um, we love when you call the show and contribute and give us your point of view, because believe me, if you have a point of view, I'm sure a million people share. It. And so I, I do like to hear from your listeners. So please try to call us. And if you don't want to call us, then make sure that you uh, text us. And don't forget, you can get me on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on every social media. Actually, social media is becoming so big, I can't even keep up with it. And to those that you have sent me questions, I haven't gotten to them yet. Right now, I'm answering them all myself because I started to get someone to try to help me answer them. And here's what I got. Oh, this is the fake Dottie Herman. So I'm trying to answer it. I'm not an expert, but one thing I will tell you, 
I do try to make a difference. And you say to yourself, well, how can I, one person, how can I make a difference? Well, if everybody felt like that, then no, nothing happens. If everyone does a little, and everyone has a different point of view, and if we all respect each other's point of view, so you don't have to agree, um, I think we will make a difference. And I think it's time that we all come together and try to make this world a better place. When it comes to Newsday, I don't know if our guest is a technical, if there's a technical difficulty or not. And so I had a lot of questions to ask him. Some of them, I can tell you the answers myself. Like we were going to ask him, have mortgage rate, rates affected the number of homes on the market? Um, I, I would say, in my opinion, that we have a shortage of homes. We have more than we had during, we have we, we've had a shortage for a while, okay? And so uh, a lot of people are preferring just to stay put. Uh, a lot of people don't leave until they retire. You know, and when they're getting ready to retire, sometimes they're moving to lower tax states. And that's a whole other subject in itself because New York taxes are really high. And if you live on Long Island like I did, they're pretty high. Uh, they're very high. But I will say on behalf of Long Island, and because I consider myself a Long Islander at heart, uh, the schools on Long Island are great. And so because they're great, you don't have to send your private, you don't have to send your children to private schools. The school system is probably one of the best in the country. So um, that is a plus. And I will tell you that as far as Long Island, I don't think it gets enough PR. I don't think they do the right PR. It's a wonderful place to live. It's a wonderful, I grew up there. There's beaches, some of the best restaurants. You don't have to go to the city to get a best, a great restaurant. Some of the, the greatest restaurants are there. And uh, they have every kind of entertainment that you want. And it was just a wonderful place to grow up. Now, do I, do I have that? Do I have, oh, do I have John? Hi, have Dottie, John? Are, you, are you there? Yes, and I tried to fill in and tell everybody that, look, I grew up in Long Island. I spent half my life there. The only paper anybody read, okay, for most part was Newsday. It was the paper. It still is. Uh, it's a well, great thanks, paper. Thanks, and it's part of everyone's household. So thank you so much for being part of this. And i just love to hear from your point of view since you covered real estate. Uh one of the questions I had asked and then we got cut off was, how does Long Island compare to the rest of the country uh, in the marketplace as far as housing prices? Right. So, yeah. So as, you know, mortgage rates have, um, you know, increased uh, over the course of this year, you know, more than doubled in the last year, you know, you've seen real estate in, in uh, much of the country, especially, you know, the South and West parts of the United States, um, you know, you've seen like inventory uh, go way up in those markets. Um, but, but on Long Island, you know, you're not seeing that as much. I think uh, the number of houses on the market are up about two and a half percent compared with the previous year. So really not that much at all, considering how much mortgage rates have gone up. Um, and, you know, it, it, in terms of the prices, you know, things are still increasing, um, uh, but a little bit more slowly uh, than they were last year. So, um, you know, Long Island has been pretty resilient um, in terms of the housing market compared to some other markets in the country. And wouldn't you agree that there's still like an oversupply? I mean, we, we're, 
you know, we have more, uh, a bit more of a supply than we had, but there are more people looking to buy there than uh, we have inventory. I think if we had more inventory, we'd sell more. And I just made a comment about the schools while we were trying to get you on the air uh, that you don't have to send the schools in Long Island are terrific and the restaurants are terrific and you don't have to go, you, you can, but you don't have to go to the city to find great restaurants and people do not have to send their kids to private schools because we have great schools on Long Island and, and I, uh, great beaches. So you cover all of Long Island, including, including the Hamptons, right? In the North right, Fork? That's correct. And, you know, when I opened up my offices on in the Hamptons, and uh, that was about 15, 20 years ago, I would hear, well, where are you from? I said, Long Island. They said, Up Island, meaning, oh, you're not part of the Hamptons. Okay. I said, well, last time I checked, the Hamptons and the North Fork were part of Long Island. Uh, what, are you, what are you finding out on the east end of Long Island, and uh, which is the North Fork and maybe the Hamptons? Right. Yeah. So, you know, um, some data from from Douglas Elliman and, and Miller Samuel that came out uh, with regard to the third quarter of the year. So um, July to September um, showed that uh, the, the median price uh, in the Hamptons on the, on the South Fork there, you know, increased 23 percent compared with oh. the previous year. Um, you know, that's a that's a really large that's increase big. in one year. So, um, you know, that, uh, you know, that just kind of shows, um, you know, the Hamptons um, and, and also the North Fork, the North Fork, um, you know, Greenport, um, South Old, Mattituck, Orient, um, those communities also saw uh, a median price increase of um, 22% compared with the previous year. So, you know, what you've seen out on the East End is um, at least, you know, towards the end of the summer there, there really wasn't a, a price drop off yet. And a lot of it had to do with just there not being a lot of, uh, you know, enough homes for the, the people trying to buy them, um, particularly at the lower end of the market. When I talked to real estate agents on the East End, they said that, you know, if you're trying to buy a home for less than a million dollars in the Hamptons, the competition, you know, is really fierce um, and, and you're probably going to wind up having to pay over what the asking price was. Let me say this. I've been, I opened offices from scratch over 25 years ago on the North Fork of Long Island. And not so much the Hamptons, but North Fork, you know, was kind of a sleepy, slow, beautiful, but didn't have, it kept on saying it's going to have potential, it's going to go up, and it took a lot of years, but it's there now, okay? It's there, the prices are rising, it's wonderful, it's very different than the Hamptons. It's if you're a boater, there's this water there, it's peaceful, it's beautiful, and more and more people are living in the North Fork and the Hamptons as primary residents, not only secondary, which is something I'm sure that you are, you're finding out. Right, yeah, that definitely, uh, you know, is a phenomenon that, that um, definitely grew during the pandemic, right? My Pillow is having their biggest bed sheet sale ever. The My Pillow Percale sheets are available in a variety of colors and all sizes. Now on sale, for example, the queen size, regular price $89.98, now only $39.98 with your promo code. Order now as there is a very limited supply. The My Pillow Percale sheets are breathable and have a cool, crisp feel. They have deep pockets to fit over any mattress. The My Pillow Percale sheets come with a 10-year warranty and a 6 
60-day money-back guarantee. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, use promo code AM970 to receive the MyPillow percale sheets for as low as $29.98. Order now, because when they're gone, they're gone. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-651-0798. Use the promo code AM970. That's 800-651-0798. 800-651-0798. Use the promo code AM970. New York City's first and only life plan community, River's Edge, will soon be built on a 32-acre campus along the Hudson River, just minutes away from Grand Central and Riverdale. River's Edge, a community for adults ages 62 and up, combines a cosmopolitan lifestyle with the security of knowing that if your health changes, your needs can be met seamlessly right where you live. You have a life plan with easy access to uninterrupted on-site care at no additional cost, no matter how your needs change. River's Edge, your plan for wonderful. Call 844-55-RIVER. That's 844-55-RIVER or visit at riversedge.org. Hey, I just spoke to my buddy Alex Cancella at Route 22 Toyota, and he told me that anyone looking to beat these ridiculous gas prices should get over to see them at Route 22 Toyota in Hillside, New Jersey. That's because they've got one of the area's largest inventories of new Toyota vehicles, including the most fuel-efficient vehicles, like the 39-mile-per-gallon Toyota Camry, the 41-mile-per-gallon RAV4 Hybrid, or the one that started it all, Toyota Prius, which gets a combined 56 miles per gallon gallon no need to remortgage your house just to fill up the tank call route 22 toyota at 973-705-8905 let them show you which fuel efficient toyota is right for you plus they're making it easier than ever to get out of your gas guzzler by offering 125 percent of book value on your trade that's right any make any model 973-705-8905 schedule an appointment at route 22 toyota they'll give you 125 percent book value towards a fuel efficient toyota and remember tell them Oh, Piscopo sent you. Marketing your business is hard. It's so competitive, and getting new customers is as hard as keeping your existing ones. We know it because we're a local business, too. So when it comes to marketing your business and getting new customers, we know how to do it. Our digital marketing firm, Salem Surround, is built to create customized solutions to your business, not your competitors, just you. Reach out to us at SalemSurround.com, and we'll work with you to create those solutions that will increase your business and bring you new customers. SalemSurround.com. Continuing with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. Hey, what's up? Elijah, who covers residential real estate for Newsday, which is the paper for Long Island. Uh, I hope you're going to come back. With two to time constraints, and we had some technical difficulties. Rather than me asking questions, why don't you tell us? what you are seeing and what you think is most important for our listeners here. We have a very big Long Island audience. Sure. So, you know, I think the, the biggest um, thing is for people trying to buy real estate on Long Island right now, um, you know, the biggest kind of theme of this year has been affordability, right? So when mortgage rates, you know, when the average uh, 30-year fixed mortgage rate goes from, you know, 3% to um, this week it was 6.61%, in just a year, you know, more than doubling. Um, I know. Yeah, that means that a, um, you know, the the monthly payment on like a $500,000 mortgage um, goes up about $1,000 a month. So you, you have people that, you know, were kind of hoping to, um, you know, saving up cash and, and, and getting ready to compete in a very competitive real estate market um, in 2021. And then very quickly, mortgage rates went up. 
Um, and, you know, a lot of those buyers have been either forced to kind of reconsider what price point they're going to buy at, right? Maybe a, a $700,000 house buyer becomes someone looking at houses around 550000 I mean, that's, that's the degree to which, um, you know, mortgage rates have kind of uh, lessened the buying power of people, you know, looking to move into a new home on Long Island this year. Don't forget, you know, when I bought my home five uh, centuries ago, my first home on Long Island, uh, the uh, interest rates were about 15%. And uh, I took an adjustable mortgage that I was thrilled. I think it was like 11 or something like that. And adjusted it five years. Don't forget to call up, you know, citizens or your mortgage broker and find out about adjustables. Most people don't live in a home for 30 years. Uh, so, and once you get in, you can always refinance. Uh, however, inventory-wise, I don't think we have over-inventory. I think that there's not a lot of inventory either. I mean, right. are you finding that? Right, yeah, that's... Um... You know, that's one of the reasons that it's so hard to buy a home because, you know, even though, you know, there are some buyers who might have gotten pushed out of the market um, because of affordability issues, uh, th there are others who, um, you know, there's still more than one person vying for a home. And that means, you know, the price is going to go up and, and potentially the seller's going to get more than asking price. Right. So, with when we talk about prices, and again, I I am a big advocate of Long Island. I think it's a great place to buy a home, a great place to live. It has everything going on for itself. Uh, what would your advice be to first-time buyers who think that they're priced out? Right. I mean, I think you... Um... You know, savings savings is really the key. Um, you know, you see in a lot of these um, uh, sales, especially now, if if a seller has more than um, you know one uh, one buyer to choose from, you know, a lot of times they're looking at you know how much cash is the the buyer bringing to the deal. Um, you know, how strong is the um, you know letter from the lender that's uh, that says they'll they'll back you to finance this purchase? And so I think you really need to one you know focus on you know having a strong down payment and also you know a, a good relationship with the lender to uh, to back you and and say that you're going to follow through on this deal because you know sellers are really uh, concerned that if if a deal with you falls through, then they're going to have to put their home back on the market and are they going to get the same amount? Of money because mortgage rates have probably gone up in that time. Right. So get your ducks in order before you look. Get everything in order. Get all your financing in order. And for sellers, okay, if somebody has, you know, there are different kind of mortgages. And so obviously the larger the down payment, the better it is for you. Uh, however, there are sellers that, you know, if you, you know, Put the right amount of down and your credit's good because credit is key. And all I can say for buyers, it's a job. You've got to work, be out there every minute. As soon as the house comes out, go see it, even if it's not exactly what you want. And when you do your list of wants and needs, you might have to leave off a few wants and just go for the needs. But I will tell you, it's doable. Um, and we'll talk in the future times about how parents can help and how there's other ways that you can really just get in. But my first house was so tiny, okay, that I tell people I hit the refrigerator when I sat in my kitchen. It was so small, but I started. So I 
really enjoyed you being on here. I think everybody should read Newsday and read the real estate section, but Newsday itself is a great paper uh, to keep more. And I hope that you'll come on again and you'll keep us posted. I would love for you to do that. And I hope that you will. Thanks, Adi. Thanks for having me on. Okay. And happy Thanksgiving. Thanks. You too. Okay. Good to, good to have you on. Wish your family a happy Thanksgiving and hope you'll be on again. Thank you. And now I have a special guest uh, who happens to be a, I'd say a great friend. I met her. She was working on a book I was doing. Uh, she's a best-selling author. Uh, she is a 21-time best-selling author, as well as the producer and co-director of a new documentary, Anxious Nation. She's one of the smartest people I know and one of the nicest people I know, too. And uh, she's the executive producer of a documentary, which I was able to see experts in, and I believe in so strongly. Uh, it's coming to New York to the Dances with Films, and you can see it on December 2nd. I will be there. Um, I want to wish, I want to introduce Laura Morton. Good morning, Laura, or good afternoon, or whatever time it is. It's morning <laughs> to you in L.A., I guess. It is definitely morning to me. Good morning, Dottie. What an introduction. I'm so humbled and, and so, so grateful for that introduction and for our friendship. Oh, yeah. But really, Laura, I, and I honestly, we've developed a great friendship. But when I first met you, uh, by somebody's recommendation, I don't say this to say it because you know I don't say anything I don't mean. One of the smartest women I know, one of the best writers I know, and someone who's really passionate about what she's doing. And I could go on on another show about all the books she wrote, but <laughs> I really want to talk about her her documentary, okay, that's coming out. And um, I believe it's December 2nd? Correct. Absolutely. Okay. Could you tell us about it, Laura? Absolutely. So, Dottie, first I have to say, you know, you were the first person to step in and step up to believe in this project when I came to you in uh, early 2019 to talk about my idea because I'm the parent of an anxious child and I was really struggling and, and really felt like I was failing my daughter. Um, I just didn't, I couldn't understand why she couldn't get over her anxiety, why it was such a problem, why, you know, and it's because I didn't really understand anxiety. And I remember our first conversation about it. And, you know, we come from a generation and an era where, you know, our parents tough loved us, or we just had to figure it out. But that's just not the world that our kids are growing up in today. And, you know, you believed in me, first and foremost, and I will be forever grateful to you for that, um, to understand the need for, for doing a documentary about anxiety, today's youth, and its impact on families. And, um, you know, it. this was in 2019, and here we are now in 2022, you know, along came COVID, and it poured gasoline over an already burning inferno. And, and it's the it is the biggest health crisis facing our country today is our is mental health and the impact it's having on our youth. You know, Laura, I, I, and I also think, and I'm just, this is just an opinion. I also think that when I was growing up, it was a much simpler world. I mean, we rode our bicycles. We uh, had the home at dinner. 
they told us just don't take candy from a stranger. There wasn't the pressure that I see on kids today. And really, children have so much pressure. And then when I first met Laura, and we were talking about this, and I said, well, Laura, you know, everyone has anxiety, but what the world, what, what kids are going through now and the pressure that they have, and I don't know that some people even realize the effects of it. And so this play, I took such an interest, this documentary is also not only about the child, it's how the family deals with that. And Absolutely. so yeah. I'd love you to talk a little about that. I know Kathy Ireland is involved with the film and she's a biggie and she's dedicated to it. Can you tell us a little about, because some people might say, well, everyone has anxiety or, but, but sure. there's a special way of dealing with it. And what can people expect to learn from this film? Absolutely. So we're so excited. First of all, Dottie, you, you know, you're an executive producer along with Kathy Ireland on the film. Yes, I am. And, you know, we are, we are so thrilled about the, the team that we have built around this. Kathy came on as an executive producer after watching the film uh, and, and came to me and said, this is so personal to me. And so many families are going through this. How can I help? What can I do to help spread the word about this? And so we've been playing film festivals all over the country to sold out audiences. Uh, we just had a, a screening in, in uh, San Francisco on Wednesday night. We had 330 people there. Um, and we're really excited about coming to New York because we have so many ties in New York. But what people can get out of this film is they're going to feel very seen and heard. And you know, I don't know any family that's not dealing with anxiety on some level. I don't know any realtor not dealing with anxiety on some level right now. And so for us, we want people to feel very seen and heard. We want to acknowledge that it's okay to be not okay. We want to acknowledge the stigma and, and try to start some conversations around this. But so how also, do people get tickets, Laura? Go to anxiousnation.com. You can buy tickets. It's December 2nd. Okay, and by the way, if you're following me, I'm going to be posting it all, so you'll, you'll you know, or just leave a message with the, the station, but I'll be posting how you can get tickets. I will be there, so I hope to see that. It's at there. the Regal Theater in Union Square, anxiousnation.com. We'd love to see you. Thank you, Dottie. Eye on Real Estate with Dottie Herman is sponsored by Citizens Bank N.A. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flint with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com